Bob Dylan during a three-week concert tour of England in the spring of 1965. The film chronicles Dylan's concert appearances, hotel room conversations, and downtime, pulling back the curtain on Dylan on the cusp of his creative shift towards rock music. Again, that's Don't Look Back on Thursday, January 10th at 7 p.m. at the Clinton Street Theater, 2522 Southeast Clinton Street in Portland. More information can be found at kboo.fm on the right side of the homepage under Community Events. Good morning. You are listening to KBOO Portland, and it is 10 o'clock, top of the hour. At 11, Stage and Studio presents the documentary Ing Doc Hay, Frontier Herbalist, about the roots of a thriving eastern Oregon Chinatown. And at 11.30, Art Focus talks to photographer Jason Savage about his project, Stripping Out Loud, a series of 69 photos of Portland-area exotic dancers. All of these KBOO programs are made possible by member support. If you'd like to become a member, go to kboo.fm and click on Donate. And now at 10, it's Flashpoints with Dennis Bernstein. KBOO programming is made possible by KBOO listener members and support from Gazelle by support from Gazelle Consulting, providing HIPAA compliance and IT security services to businesses throughout Portland and across the West Coast, including HIPAA consulting, software, and risk assessments and trainings. More information online at gazelleconsulting.org. And now flashpoints. Today on Flashpoints, a deep look at the Kurds and what's going on in Syria and what could be called a greater Kurdistan. Also, we'll speak with Josh Rubner, uh, policy director for the U.S. Campaign for Palestinian Rights, about the first thing, the first thing that this uh, new liberal House of Representatives did was to take action to protect Israel's apartheid state. And we'll also speak with Juan Jose Gutierrez about the nightmare happening at the U.S.-Mexico border. I'm Dennis Bernstein. All this straight ahead on Flashpoints. Stay tuned. Listening to Flashpoints on Pacifica Radio. My name is Dennis Bernstein. Well, there is a new law. It's uh, it's being passed locally and it's being considered in Congress. Meanwhile, Congress convened, and among their first actions uh, was to take action. This is the the uh, a bill coming out of the U.S. Senate uh, in the midst of the shutdown. It's sort of a bipartisan defense of Israeli government of the Israeli government from various boycotts joining us to talk about this is Josh Rubiner as i said he's with the uh, he's the policy director of the US campaign for palestinian rights Josh Rubiner welcome to flashpoints uh we we've heard a lot about what happened in Texas where a i believe it was a guidance counselor with a social worker lost her 
job because she spoke up in support of the uh, boycott divestment movement against Israeli apartheid. Could you sort of set the scene here? What, what's going on? What's this law about? What's happening? That's right. The person who you're referring to, her name is Bahia Maui, and she's a Palestinian-American speech pathologist who was employed by the public school district in Austin, Texas. And when her contract was up for renewal, she noticed a stipulation in the contract saying that she had to certify that she did not support boycotting for Palestinian rights, which she indeed does. And she refused to sign the certification based on her political conviction that boycotting for Palestinian rights would help advance peace and justice. She was fired from her job as a result. She filed a lawsuit against Texas because of that. Uh, and there's another lawsuit brought by the ACLU in Texas on behalf of four plaintiffs who also suffered economic and professional harm because of a state law there that says, if you do not certify that you do not boycott for Palestinian rights, you cannot contract with the state for an individual, for a company, for a company that's owned by an individual. And these type of laws have been passed in about half of the states. Even though the ACLU has already sued successfully in federal courts in Kansas and Arizona to overturn these laws, which were declared to be unconstitutional by federal district judges. These are the types of bills and laws that Senator Marco Rubio is trying to encourage states to pass additionally, despite their unconstitutionality. And this is the content of the very first bill that the Senate will vote on tomorrow. All right, so the the Senate is taking this up tomorrow, and that means that they're attempting to legislate this at the federal level to make it uh, illegal across the country. Well, not exactly. What the bill does is it encourages states and cities to pass these types of uh, anti-boycott laws uh, that violate the First Amendment, but it can't mandate that they do so. But what it does do if this bill were to become law, would be to basically create a federal database of all states and localities that have passed these types of laws, uh, which would empower the Trump administration to really crack down on those states and localities that have not passed these laws yet, perhaps threatening them with a cutoff of funding if they don't pass these laws. And the Trump administration on the campaign trail before Trump became president was very, very clear that it was one of his policy priorities to help suppress the movement for Palestinian rights. So there's no doubt that the Trump administration would take advantage of this policy tool if Senator Rubio had his way in this bill passed. Does this also have to, this has to pass in the House as well to become law, to be signed by the president, right? It, it does. It has to go through the normal legislative process. So we're just at the start of the 116th Congress. And I think it's very significant that this bill is S-1. Now, traditionally, parties have used the very first bill as a way to signal what is their highest priority. So in the democratically controlled House, you will see that H-1 is a bill to combat corruption in elections, for example. And so you see the, the, the choice of this bill as S-1 in the Senate as marking the Republican Party's highest legislative priority being to uh, protect Israel from First Amendment protected boycott campaigns for Palestinian rights. And I think that says uh, 
so much about what the priorities are of the Republican Party. And even if they do manage to get this through the Republican-controlled Senate, I think that they're going to have great difficulty in getting a bill like this through the democratically-controlled House. Well, we're going to watch that very closely. Now, how, um, how do we know... Uh, really the sort of the the real impact of this which is not uh whether it simply whether it passes but the fact that it exists and it's there's a they're creating a consciousness for this kind of a law and this this is unprecedented right there is nothing that has ever passed like this before in terms of a country and uh no, I mean, of course, you've had lots of examples over the decades of the United States imposing sanctions upon a country uh, for its human rights abuses. But of course, this is the reverse. And yes, I think you're right that this is the first time where you've had an organized legislative push to try to strip away from Americans their First Amendment protected right to boycott for Palestinian rights. You can boycott for anything at any time, for any reason that you choose. And the Supreme Court has ruled in 1982 in a case that revolved around an NAACP boycott of a white-owned hardware store that was practicing racial discrimination that these type of boycott campaigns are protected political speech that are on the highest rung of the hierarchy of First Amendment values. So it really truly is unprecedented that members of Congress would think to legislate on behalf of a foreign country to suppress the First Amendment protected rights of Americans to criticize peacefully and nonviolently that country's policies. You're listening to Flashpoints on Sebeco Radio. We're speaking with uh, Josh Rubner, and we're talking about uh, uh, a new uh, law being considered in Congress uh, in the Senate at this point uh, that really uh, makes it essentially illegal to support the boycott of uh, Israeli goods. That This is the BDS boycott uh, against Israel. Now, this does demonstrate the power of the Israeli lobby, APAC. Could you talk a little bit about how they would make sure that something like this happened and that the senators would know what to do or else? Well, I would actually disagree with that analysis. I think it actually shows how weak APAC and the Israel lobby is because they've been trying to pass this Combating BDS Act for four years now. And they tried for the last two years to pass an even more draconian bill that also died in the last Congress called the Israel Anti-Boycott Act. And this is a bill that would actually criminalize participation by individuals in an international organization's call for the boycott of Israel or Israeli settlement products. This was a bill that initially envisioned 20 years in jail for someone who provided information to the UN about companies that should be on a database of uh, companies that are profiting from Israeli military occupation and illegal settlement policies. And to think that Congress would even consider, even with the backing of APAC, uh, a bill like this is extraordinary. And it picked up a lot of support. But thanks to uh, the opposition of the ACLU, thanks to the work that we and other organizations did in the Palestine Solidarity Movement, we effectively killed that bill off in the last Congress. So I think it's actually a sign of weakness and a sign of desperation that APAC and the Israel lobby are actually having quite a lot of difficulty in passing these types of very retrograde, very anti-democratic laws. Well, yes, they are. And I take your point 
on the other hand, of course, it's Senate Bill 1. Uh, so we're going to look at that very closely. But uh, I guess you also make the point uh, that the reason why they would consider such draconian uh, legislation is because of the power, the growing power of the boycott divestment movement. That's exactly right. I mean, there's no reason to suppress or try to suppress a movement that is not powerful, that is not winning. It's clear that the movement, the global movement for the realization of the long denied rights of the Palestinian people living under Israel's separate and unequal apartheid regime is making tremendous strides, gaining tremendous momentum. You've had more than 10 mainstream church denominations in the United States pass resolutions calling for the boycott of Israeli settlement products, divesting assets from companies that are profiting from Israeli military occupation. You've had literally dozens of uh, college campuses and their student governments call for their universities to divest from Israel as well. You've seen Academy Award winners, Grammy Award winners, boycott Israel, not go on propaganda trips. You see NFL superstars like Michael Bennett decline trips publicly to Israel and refuse to be used for its propaganda purposes. So Israel likes to uh, portray itself as a bastion of democracy, but the reality is that its undemocratic and anti-democratic rule over the Palestinian people is becoming more and more clear and more and more people and institutions are taking action. And that's why we're seeing this pushback on the legislative level to try to kill off this movement. But the more that Israel and its supporters in the United States try to repress this movement through very heavy-handed and McCarthyite tactics, the more it rebounds to our benefit because the more people look and say, what is this movement about? Why is it so controversial? Why does Israel and its supporters feel the need to repress the civil society movement? And when they look into the issue and they start to begin to unpeel the, the, the layers of the onion of Israeli apartheid, they don't like what they smell. And they're joining with us in this fight. How has the press coverage been uh, on this issue? Generally, when it comes to the Palestinians and uh, Palestinian uh, Israeli apartheid in Palestine, it's not a, a story that uh, many of the corporate journalists are interested in. How's this one doing? It's been very well received from our perspective. There were attempts made at the last minute uh, in the dying days of the previous Congress, just last month, to try to insert the Israeli Anti-Boycott Act into the omnibus, into the must-pass budget bill that didn't, that didn't pass, and that's the reason why we have the partial government shutdown right now. And during that fight, the Washington Post, the New York Times, uh, and many, many other uh, mainstream media outlets ran incredibly critical stories uh, of this attempt to try to force this bill into law. Because how can you defend something like this? How can you defend a bill that would throw Americans in jail for 20 years for acting on their conscience? and for engaging in a political boycott to advance justice. It just doesn't make sense to anybody once the details of the bill uh, are revealed. But there was that firing in Texas, and that uh, sends a chill. Uh, that got a lot of attention, uh, and I'm sure it made a lot of people think about uh, their jobs, particularly in these uh, times, and uh, 
supporting the boycott divestment movement. Also, we've seen a lot of repression of students and teachers who've tried to take this up as well. So it's a it's a real struggle. It definitely is. And and just today or yesterday, word came out that the that the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute was denying an award to Angela Davis because of her outspokenness on uh, freedom and justice and equality for the Palestinian people. You had CNN fire Mark Lamont Hill as a commentator a few months ago because of his support for a one-state resolution to the Israeli-Palestinian issue. So this is a pattern of repression that is longstanding. It's part of an effort to try to ensure that one side of this debate is silence because Israel and its supporters can't win this debate on its merits. There's no defending the reality of Israeli separate and unequal rule over the Palestinian people. So instead of having an open and honest debate about it, there's always been a concerted attempt to silence those voices who are speaking up in support of Palestinian rights, including freedom.